Good evening. I am about to take a long drive and I'm backing up. I'm trying to focus on driving, so give me a second. I always try to safely produce these things, you know, so I'm not fooling around with my apps and stuff. So I try to hit record and then pull out and and then I don't edit them because, yeah, who's got time for that? I also have a new phone with a case that kind of slides around a lot, so I'm hoping that uh, that won't be too problematic here. And this is a very dicey intersection. Um, so what am I doing uh, right now? Well, you can hear the... Uh, the windshield wipers going. There's some light snow slash rain stuff going on here, and I am leaving Laramie and headed for Cheyenne. And if you'll bear with me, getting on the freeway, I think everything will be pretty rosy. So hopefully. Um, <clears throat> The microphone works out and everything. Alright, so I just wanted to make a podcast that, I don't know, maybe I can send this to some friends who um, haven't heard from me in a while or, uh, or something like that. You know, I wanted it, I, I almost don't want to mention the word Christmas because then immediately the podcast seems... Uh, irrelevant for any other uh, purposes. Um, but that's also kind of what I wanted to talk about was relevance. So uh, I guess I will say Merry Christmas. It's a few days before Christmas. Um, this is going to be just kind of Michael's stream of conscious thoughts. I just kind of, as I left Cheyenne to head for Laramie, um, I was headed to the uh, storage unit to pick up some things and uh, for Christmas mainly but just some odds and ends and now I'm headed back and I was just as I left Cheyenne I thought you know I want to make a particular type of episode so uh, that's what I'm trying to do um, but first you know I wanted to just kind of do almost what we would do in a Christmas card, or at least an old school Christmas card. You know, we used to get these Christmas cards from people when we were kids. We didn't know who these people were. We didn't remember them. <laughs> they lived in another state, right? But they would send, um, you know, usually a typed out or handwritten couple of pages just updating us on the family, and they would send pictures and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how in-depth I want to go into um, with that kind of thing. Where it's, it's hard, you know. Um, and I, I feel like I'm always saying that. And when I look back, I actually think the last few years were easy. You know, I just left this intersection that I have the memory of from 2018, probably May, April, May, something like that, 2018, 
Uh, Kelly would probably know the exact day. When we left Houston, um, we when we first came to Colorado, we had a a cabin that a family member, like an extended family member, someone we really didn't even know, but they were nice enough to let us use as our initial destination. And um, we had to sort of go through kind of the long way around to get to Steamboat Springs. Uh, we had to go um, a certain way that we wouldn't hit a bunch of elevation really quickly because at that time uh, Kelly was sensitive to elevation changes. That's not the case anymore. But So we had to go kind of through northwestish Texas and, um, you know, just not head straight for the big passes and stuff like that in Denver. Sorry, these um, windshield wipers are so loud. It looks like maybe I don't even need them. The, the snow's just kind of blowing right off. Uh, but it is dark. So, um, so yeah, i got to focus on driving. But anyway, this intersection, I can just kind of remember because it's kind of where, I think it's where we turned to kind of go down into Colorado. So when we came up, we kind of, like I said, we went the long way up into Wyoming just briefly. And um, I can remember, you know, waking up in Wyoming and, you know, we just kind of spent the day or a few hours at least in Cheyenne. Um, it seemed just like a nice place with clean air. and But anyway, we, we dipped back down and it's just funny how your brain remembers landmarks and stores and restaurants. I don't know. The brain just kind of these, these places become significant for you, for us, you know, that it's, it's hard. Maybe I'm just what you call nostalgic, but it's hard to leave a city that you've been living in your whole life, a city like Houston. Um, because you're leaving, in a sense, you're leaving all of your reminders of um, of where you're from, you know. Uh, I think some people might say of who you are, but I think, you know, that presents this this dilemma of identity, you know. Is my, is my identity the city that I'm from? And I think when we're younger, you know, in our, in our teens and 20s, we sometimes we want to get away from this identity this where we're from you know i i remember i was always trying to get away from houston and then um around 2008 2009 i just had this desire to go back to houston and uh thankfully that coincided with you know meeting back up with kelly and um us you know dating and and eventually getting married and that that trajectory kind of made me want to come back to Houston even more. Um, but I had already kind of had that desire in me. And it's funny that that was happening when I was like 28, 29. Um, so I'm not saying that there's a set pattern in everybody's heart, but it's interesting, like, you know, turning 30, you're kind of like, okay, I need to really get back to where I am, you know? And now that I'm 40, you know, a decade later from leaving Austin, um, it's like I'm having this, uh, don't call it a midlife crisis, okay? <laughs> but I'm having this crisis where I, 
I wish I could go back or I wish I could um, put down roots. And I, I think we found a place where we will put down roots. But the fact that this year is so much harder than the previous years that I already thought were difficult, um, it's been really depressing. It's been really um, uh, just like, just makes you start questioning what you're doing um, in a lot of in a lot of senses, you know. And I think that's probably what a midlife crisis is: is a time of of questioning and and sort of re realigning, like you know, these conflicting desires and you know what you're putting value in and stuff like that. So that's been that's been rough. I mean, um, you know, we're not you know, the homeowners that we once were, you know, I don't have the, um, oh, how could you say it? My job is good, but I, you know, I'm new to it. So I don't have like the solidarity. Um, you know, I'm working with people who have never seen their face, you know, except on a zoom call because we're wearing masks and, and I support that this episode's not about masks, but, um, it's just about this observation that, Life for all of us is hard, but as as a mold avoider, as someone with a chronically ill um, spouse, and um, and it's winter time, you know, like this road is super dark, and there's a snowstorm, and I'm trying to get over this mountain pass, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, that's not a full update of life. Like I said, this is more like stream of conscious consciousness. Is that how you say it? Stream of consciousness. I feel like it's just stream of conscious, but, and this is a dicey drive. So I'm probably going to start talking really slow. Um, but Hey, this is what pigeon post is about, right? You're on the drive with me. Um, but Hey, if I haven't heard from you in a while, you should like send me a, send me a message or give me a phone call because I'd love to hear how you're doing. Um, hopefully better than than I am right now because I'm trying to stay where I can see the lights of this truck. Um, yeah, are you getting nervous? Well, if this makes it to podcast, then I'm fine. <laughs> So don't, don't be nervous for me, but this sucks. Okay. So, uh, let me try to start talking again. I think I can do it. I've got some lights behind me and some lights in front of me. So we're a team. We'll all stay together here. Um, here's the deal. Like the reason why I wanted to make the podcast today is I wanted to, to call it the relevance of Christ. And I thought about calling it the relevance of Christmas, but I think especially like when I'm listening to music, so I'm listening to this playlist I made and sometimes, you know, when I make playlists, the things that I listened to in the past or even like the things that I listened to with my kids, I keep that separate from the things that, um, 
that I listen to just for musical sake, you know, like I'll keep, you know, Christian music on one playlist sometimes. And then, um, for lack of a better word, secular or non-Christian music, you know, stuff that I just used to listen to because I liked it, um, on another playlist, but I'm trying to let those things kind of bleed into one another. And I think it's been good because for one thing, a lot of the Christian music that I like is not sappy, um, you know, clap your hands, everything's fine type of overcomer type music. You know, I listen to, to stuff like Michael Nod and Mark Hurd and just stuff that is really, you know, how can I say it? It's, it's alive. It's, it bleeds, you know, it, um, it wounds you, uh, because it's, it's real, you know, these are people writing real songs. So I think that's the main criteria that I've been trying to put together, um, on my most recent playlist is like, what songs are like real to me? Like they ring true in some sense and they can be old and they can be secular or Christian, but they ring true. And um, I think that just kind of got my mind into thinking like, okay, what is the relevance of Christ? You know, there's some of you that I'm sending this to who I've probably never talked to about God before, or maybe you know I'm a Christian, or maybe you've unfriended me recently on Facebook uh, because uh, I'm crazy now or something like that, posting a bunch of pro-life stuff and everything like that. And that's cool. Um, that's fine. It's not cool, but <laughs> it's fine. I understand that because I think it's like making a playlist. You know, you, you don't want these different types of music to necessarily bleed into each other. You're like, okay, this Facebook is my jazz playlist. You know, like I don't want to hear all this other stuff, you know, and I get it. I totally get it. Um, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, trying to find a narrative that unifies everything in your life, you know, something that makes sense or helps make sense of all the dissonance so that it's not really dissonant anymore, you know, like, um, and this is the tricky part of what I think I'm trying to do in the podcast today is, is basically try to take any situation and try to show you how I see it through the lens of Christ. Um, now, I say through the lens of Christ rather than just saying something like the Bible or Christianity because Christianity is about a person, you know? Like, the whole deal with Christianity is that we're not with God until God reaches down and we grab his hand or he grabs our hand and then we're with God. Um, let's get a little more dicey here. Well, I'm just going to rely on Mr. 18-wheeler here. Um, hopefully as I get out of the mountains, sometimes when you get out of the mountains, the uh, snow becomes not as much of a problem. But, 
stop this podcast. So it'll either clear up that or or not. <laughs> um, but like even something like right now, like driving through snow, you know, like. What are all the feelings and thoughts and fears and everything? And how do I, how do I mentally like kind of process this or deal with it for lack of a better word? And where is my heart and all this? Um, you know, for one thing, I think the things that happen to us in life are kind of an analogy of uh, they're kind of a spiritual analogy, right? So I think I was saying that Christianity is about a person. It's about God himself linking us to him so that we are joined with him in some sense. Um, not that we become God, but that we are um, uh, unseparable from him um, in some sense. Uh, that, that probably sounds kind of like wishy-washy, uh, but I'll get to that more in a second, I'm sure. But just kind of that thought. So like right now, I'm driving through this dicey situation, right? I love my wife and my kids dearly. And so all my focus and my energy, it's on self-preservation in some sense, right? But it's mainly on keeping myself alive so that I can get home to my wife and kids and, um, and not, you know, be in the ditch, you know, uh, or needing to call 911 or something like that. Right. So I'm trying to, to preserve myself, you know, and, um, and I think that's, that's kind of these things that we, we look at in life and we're like, okay, this is a really good picture or a really good imprint that I was made, right? So um, we've come up with these other narratives that we try to use to explain things like like self-preservation, like we just want to prolong the species and um, we just want to make sure that, you know, that life continues on Earth. Like that's what... That's what self-preservation is all about. But there's also something that's kind of haunting and kind of um, not answered by just a naturalistic sense. Like, like I am, it's not an instinct, it's love, right? Like, I love my wife and my kids so much that I don't want to put myself in harm's way. And that if I am in a situation that calls for um, being careful, that I am overly careful and trying to navigate that situation to the best of my ability so that I, I can love them more, you know? And yet there are people that do die in car accidents, right? There are people that do um, have horrible tragedies happen to them and what what is the resolve there right like so i think that's a big question 
It's not only like, how do you try to preserve your life? And how does that show you that there is a God, um, a specific God, not just a deity, but a God who is a father who has a love for his children, right? There's, a, there's an imprint on a father's, there's an imprint of God's love on the heart of a father who loves. There's an imprint on uh, friendship and relationships. Um, and what about death? You know, like if you are, um, what do you think of when you think of dying? Like you kind of know innately that your, your consciousness uh, doesn't just die with you. Um, I think that we get sort of pictures of this being true, um, you know, just because it needs to be true, you know? Um, and we could argue for better uh, standards of truth. And maybe I'll do that in the next podcast. Maybe the next podcast will be the truthfulness of Christ. But I'm just trying to show or at least demonstrate that God has left a mark on our lives. And by the way, this is a lot better now that I'm out of the mountains. <laughs> a lot better, so don't worry about me. Um, you know, God has left these marks on our life. You know, like we have, oh, wow, there's almost no snow now. This is awesome. That's great. Okay, maybe I can think better now. Um, there's almost no, um, you know, when we have these thought, like the love, uh, I got way off there, sorry. We've got the love of a father, the love of a child to a father, but actually I think the love of a father is actually stronger than the love of a child to a father. Um, if you're a father, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's, an, that's kind of this imprint okay, of God's love for us. We've got this sort of fear of death, or at least knowing that it just it wouldn't be right. It would be the whole universe would be a tragedy if we all just die and that's it. Because what do naturalists believe? They believe that eventually the world is going to, to not, we're, we're not going to be able to sustain our memories forever. You know, like, if that were the goal of life, like for me to love really well and for my ancestors in the future or, or my future offspring to always remember the love of their ancestors and then I'll be sort of eternal in that way. But we all know that even that won't last forever. Like I don't know who my grandparents' grandparents are. I have no idea whether they were good people or bad people, right? Um, now maybe like with digital media we can preserve all that. But eventually, you know, if you are a naturalist, then you know that the world cannot go on forever. Life will eventually end and all of everyone's memories, no matter how loving they are, how much money they had, or how much they tried to sustain their memory, it will all be gone. And so I think people, I don't really know, I don't want to speak for people, but if I was in that situation of unbelief, I think I would just think that it's sort of a beautiful tragedy or that the universe sort of preserves it in some weird mystical way. Um, but the fact is that if a father dies or a child dies and they're separated, 
and there is no God who preserves their, their personalities and who they are and joins them back together in some sense, then that love is ultimately a tragedy because it's, it ends, you know, like it dies. And so immediately in us, there's this notion that death, even though it's the most natural thing, is unnatural. Like it's not supposed to be that way. So we have this, this knowledge that things are not supposed to die. And, and it's, a, it's the most traumatic thing for us to encounter death. And to really process it. And so I think we spend our whole life avoiding thinking about dying. Because we don't want to come to grips with the fact that it ends everything for us. Um, now, how is Christ relevant in those things that I've just talked about? And I have no set amount of things I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to drive to, to Walmart, you know, and Cheyenne and, and we'll see what <laughs> how far we get when I get there, you know? Um, oh, this is great driving, by the way, perfectly clear weather. So, um, so here's what, here's where I think the, the lens of the relevance of Christ is in these thoughts, right? So Christ is the son of the father. Okay. So we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so relationships have eternally existed within God himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to make this whole podcast about the Trinity, okay? But I'll just make this brief argument for the Trinity. If God is just like what you would call a monad, like just a singular... Um, completely singular being with no, no no differentiation at all, right? Okay. Um, then there's no such thing as relationship. He's not capable of relationship except that he creates relationship, right? And so basically you have a God that for all eternity past was just this lonely being in himself who created um, something so that he could experience love and emotions and relationship of some kind. So, um, but if you have the triune God of the Bible, you have uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You have relationship and love, and um, and sort of, I guess you could say, duties or roles. You have all these things that exist within God himself um, that kind of lets you know that this is why he made us this way. So when in the Bible says he made us in his image, I don't really know if you can parse out exactly what that means, but it can at least mean that God in himself has relationships has love, has attributes of dignity and holiness and um, compassion and wrath and justice and judgment. And 
basically all of the things that we encounter as human beings um, derive like a fingerprint from God. Um, that's probably a poor analogy, but maybe it'll land for, for somebody. So when I'm looking at my love for my child, I can know that God has love for his children as well. And I can ask myself, am I God's child, right? And so immediately we see like, well, I don't really feel like God's child all the time. Like why, why is there some fracturing or um, why is this relationship dissonant? You know, like why can't I see God? I can't hug God. I can't be with God. It's, there's a problem immediately, but the, de the problem doesn't, doesn't deny the fact that the relationship either should be there or is there, if that makes sense. So in all of our relationships, we have this stamp of an overriding relationship that we should have with a higher being that a lot of times, frankly, we feel like we don't have. So it's on God then, right? Like if God is God, why doesn't he fix this problem of not being able to relate to God? Now, this is what the incarnation, the coming of Christ is all about, is that God has made the first move. He has restored or reached to restore the relationship, the fracture between God and man. And that is by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why is it important that Jesus is God's son? because we are brought into what he has. So we don't, we don't have the ability to work our way up to being God. And I think that's another stamp upon Christ and how he's so different from every other message or leader uh, that supposedly has a message from God is that all the other messages are counterfeit in the same way. They're all about either saying that you are already a child of God and everything's okay and you just have to realize that, or they're all they're about um, working your way back into the relationship, okay? So uh, basically every religion that exists except for true Christianity tells you that you need to keep some set of laws, uh, some, you need to do some things and then you can get into good relationship with God. That's, you could think of any example of any religion and there are rules that you must keep. And if the, if you don't keep those rules or do these things, um, you're not right with God or, um, there are relations, religions that just skip over that completely and say, well, there was never any law to begin with. Nothing was ever broken. This uh, problem is just a problem that you need to meditate on and realize that you are right with God and you kind of are God. Um, so it's the same lie that's shot through all religions. And so if I were looking at this from the outside, I would hope that I would objectively think, man, okay, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. I don't really care about God. But if I were to choose one religion, I would want to choose the religion 
that seems to be true because it rings true and the truth is so much different than all the lies, right? Like if Christianity is true, you would expect that its message is unique and that it, there is an explanation for why there are so many other messages that all have the same lie carried through with them. And the explanation is sin and the devil, right? So now some of you really want to turn this off maybe because you're like, okay, you're going to start talking about the devil with the pointy horns and the, the pointy tail and the horns and stuff like that. And no, the devil is an angel of light. The devil is beautiful, okay? The devil used to be an angel. Uh, the devil is an angel that by its pride wanted to be God, right? And that was the lie that he tried to peddle to Adam and Eve was you can be like God. That is his thing, right? So when you hear about, um, you know, meditating uh, or being able to through relaxation and mindfulness and yoga, yada, yada, being able to basically become in tune with the universe and one with the universe of which you are a part, all those kind of things, all the Eastern religions in that way uh, are reflective of his lie that you can be like God, right? Or that you already are like God, okay? Well, the other side of his coin, the devil's kind of like Two-Face, you know, like the other side of his coin, the Western religions and even forms of Christianity like Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, um, and I'm not saying everybody in those camps, but those camps, okay? And then what we call the Christian cults like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, all of their stamp of the lie is that you can work your way to be with God. You can keep this law, uh, whatever it may be, whether it's the Ten Commandments or whatever, that you can be holy enough to where God kind of has to accept you or will accept you or you hope he'll accept you. Think about it, a religion like Islam would reflect this, right? But here's the deal with true Christianity. The true Christianity is about grace. It's about God uh, reaching down and making the first move. And I like this analogy that I use a lot about, and I don't know who made it up, but it's like if there's a ladder to heaven, most religions say, climb up that ladder, you know, or most religions are the religion will say, well, you're already there. You've already gotten there. You're okay. So either you're okay or you need to do this, right? But true Christianity says, no, you're not okay. You're a sinner who's offended a holy God and you're dead in your sins. And there's no way that a spiritually dead person can climb the ladder to heaven. And so you throw yourself at the mercy of God. Have mercy on me. I am a sinner, right? Um, what Christianity says is not, okay, God's going to give you a little bit of grace and you're going to work your way up this ladder and you'll get there by being good. Christianity says you can never be good enough. Christianity is the true reflection of the love of a father who, in essence, God climbs down the ladder himself and puts you on his back and takes you up the ladder, right? Like, think of a drowning person. 
um, this person, our state is not that we're sort of drowning, maybe we'll make it, we just need a life preserver, God can throw us a life preserver, that kind of thing. Our state is that we've already drowned, that we're at the bottom of the ocean, and that God decides to go down to the depths and bring us out and give us new life. So this idea that that we sort of, we have a chance to make good choices. Anytime I hear um, those things about good choices, I, I know that it's not really Christianity. Okay, Christianity has a really simple message. The message is repent of your sin. You've offended a holy God by all the things that you've done wrong and the things that you've thought and the things that you would do wrong if you had the opportunity. And moreover, it's not only the sins that you've committed, it's the sins that you've omitted. You don't wake up every day thankful on the floor, kissing the ground that God has given you another day. We think we deserve it. And I'm in the same boat. This is what I'm struggling with, is that I deserve the American dream. I deserve a better life. I deserve to own a home again. I deserve you know, to have respect in my job. I deserve to have a certain amount of money in the bank to be able to do this and that, you know, to not get COVID, all these things that, that I have no promise from God about, right? But I do have the ability to be thankful for what I have. So it's not just that we've committed sin, but that we've not given God his worship, right? Like the biggest sin that we commit is the sin of omission against the greatest commandment, which says, love the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, not just whatever God you have in your brain, but love Yahweh your God, the God of the Bible, with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And none of us have done that. It's, it's hard to do that for one minute, right? If, you, if, you, if God makes you aware of the sinfulness of your heart and mind, and you're constantly at his mercy uh, for his grace to get you through every day in thankfulness and love and worship towards him. Because we are the created thing. He is the maker. He has made us. He's, he's made us like a person makes pottery. So the Bible says, why would you say to the one who made you, why did you make me this way? Right? Like... God has decided to make us for his own purposes and there's things that we don't like. And so worship is, is hinged on thankfulness and it's also a realization of who God is and what he's done and just praising him for who he is and what he's done. But even, but when I say what he's done, I'm not even talking about what he's done that we like, but just what he has done period. Right. Um, let me get a sip of this coffee here. Um, yeah, I know that's kind of, I've been kind of all over the place. But just thinking about death, thinking about fatherhood, um, these things that we tend to think, you know, in our 40s, you know. Um, what I want you to see, like, as far as Christmas goes is, this holiday is irrelevant, right? Or it will be irrelevant, you know, when it's New Year's Day and we're celebrating New Year's. And so 
the Christian in his heart, it's not bad to celebrate holidays, right? But we need to realize that even though God has made seasons, that those seasons reflect a story that's true all year round. And so we don't just think about, um, you know, grace and God coming down at Christmas, but we think of that year round. And it's okay to have a day that we celebrate it. Um, just like New Year's Day can be a very Christian holiday where we think about all that God has done in that day uh, or in that year, excuse me, and what he's going to do in the future, you know, and instead of, and there's also a difference, right? There's a difference the way a Christian celebrates the new year and the way a non-Christian or a pagan celebrates the new year or an unbeliever, whatever word you want to use. Um, the unbeliever, I would guess, is hoping that things get better that year. The Christian, as I'm seeing it in my own life, has to come to the conclusion that things might not get better that year. And so how do I praise God? That might be an interesting podcast as well. How do I praise God with the understanding that things are probably going to get worse this year? And is that just pure pessimism? Or is it something that a Christian should avoid thinking? Um, it's really interesting. Uh, so what is the relevance of Christ? If you're still listening, God bless you. Uh, I know I've been all over the place, but maybe if you know me, you're like, hey, it's nice to hear what's coming out of Mike's brain these days or his heart. Um, uh, thanks for listening. So uh, let me just kind of grab some things that, that I think might be irrelevant. Okay. Um, and, and try to see, like, how is this relevant in Christ? Well, look at the changing seasons, okay, since we've talked about weather a little bit today. Like, that we're sort of built uh, to change, right? And there's a sense in which we like that, right? We, we, we change, we age, right? Um, the seasons change, there's winter summer, I mean, winter, spring, summer, fall, there's a time when we can see things really grow and, and we rejoice in that. And there's a time when things die and, and we, we don't really rejoice in the death of things. And yet a Christian can see a certain beauty in fall. Um, and maybe a non-believer can too. I understand that you can kind of understand how seasons work remember back to this, like, this is a reflection of a spiritual truth, right? That things that die, Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it won't bear any fruit. And so we have to understand that even though death is not part of God's original creation, like he didn't create us for the purpose of dying, but sin into the world and brought death. But in that, even in that, God is glorified and reflected that through death, somehow new life is going to come. So the Christian has hope that even if the Christian dies, that there will be a spring, right? There will be something come up out of the ground again. And this is why we celebrate Easter year round, right? Because Christ died. He took on the ultimate punishment of sin for those who put their trust in him. And his resurrection is the first fruits 
of the harvest that's going to come when God decides to make that happen at the end of time, when, when he brings everyone out of the grave, some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation, right? And so we see that even in the seasons, even in the way things die and get cold and bitter and then come back and get warm and sweet, that there's a rhythm to life, but not an infinite rhythm like some of these religions would show us, um, that it's just this infinite unity. But actually, it's a fracture, it's a, it's a problem that God is going to solve and bring us back from the dead as he brought Lazarus from the dead. Um, So the seasons are there as a stamp. So I would encourage you to like, try to think of something in your life that, that could be a reflection. It could be a way that God is trying to show you that Christ is real. Um, That Christianity is not only unique, but true. And that Christ is relevant for all of our situations. I mean, just the giving of gifts at this time, right? Like, there's a sense in which you want the gift to be kind of a surprise. You want it to be better than expected, right? You want it to be um, something that's extravagant, Kind of, right? It's not the extravagance itself, like the monetary extravagance, but it's extravagant in thought, right? It's extravagant in, like, purpose. Like, you give a person a gift, it says something about how much you know about that person, that you can give them the perfect gift, right? And when we give give gifts to our children, um, we give it almost, this is going to sound bad, but almost for our own glory, right? Um, Or the glory of the love that's between us. Like, I want my child to feel the glory of my love for them. And I want to see that in their smile. Not that they would come worship me or something like that, right? But you want to make, I mean, I think we boil it down too much and we like, we don't use words like glory and grace and love. We just say, oh, I just want to make my kids happy right? But there's a much wider vocabulary that reflects, you know, how God gives gifts to us because salvation is a gift. It's not wages. It's not trying to earn our way. So when we celebrate Christmas, even if you're a pagan or an unbeliever, and I'm not trying to use the word pagan as a pejorative term to offend you, But I'm just saying, like, it's kind of an earthy, like, I just celebrate seasonal holidays, right? Um, That's kind of just what, and some people say Christmas is a pagan holiday, which is fine. That's, it's not a problem. But what I'm saying is, like, look at the things that we do as father to child, uh, the ways that we celebrate things that are reflections of the much greater truth God has just left his mark all over our lives. Let me just put it like this. If we, tr- if you tried to take everything out of your life that is not reflective of Christ, even if you're an unbeliever, 
you're going to have a really hard time, right? Because a lot of you men get up and you go to work and you work and provide for your family. This is what Christ does for his family. Um, a lot of you mothers nurture your child and you teach them, right? This is what Christ does for us by his Holy Spirit. He has tenderness to him. The Father, even God himself, is often compared to a mother hen. So God doesn't forbid uh, analogies of even motherly love. Even though he is Father, there's a tenderness to his love. Um, Paul used that analogy of himself, that he was like a nursing mother, that he was gentle. Um, so I want you to see that, like, I guess I'm mainly talking to people who are parents, you know, because that's people I know, you know, um, that all these things about your parenthood, I think it boggles my mind that, and I don't mean this in a, in a, I'm not trying to put anybody down by any means, but I don't want you to miss out. Um, because if we, if we are under the wrath of God, if our relationship with God is fractured, by our sin and by our our um, rebellion, it's straight up rebellion to not worship God, and we're all in the same boat. Um, if that's true, and we don't, number one, we don't come to Christ uh, and get right with the Lord, and then my question is like, what are we teaching our children to do? Because not only are we um, damning our own souls in a sense uh, hopefully not hopefully you will turn at some point but you're delaying it or you're injuring your own soul you're also hamstringing your own children right like what are you teaching your children happens to them when they die or what are you teaching your children about who God is and I know I'm probably offending you and that's okay because look the Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. So if I were really your friend, I wouldn't just tell you, hey, everything's okay, that boat doesn't have a hole in it, you're good. Especially if I just got off that boat, off that boat, right? Like, I've been down that road. I was not born perfect, even though I was baptized when I was seven. I really doubt that I even came to Christ until about 2008. Like, I don't think I was worshiping God when I was following my own heart and my own passions and my own flesh and just wanting to be something and just wanting to uh, experience, you know, these things in life that made me happy. Um, you know, think of the things that make you happy, you know? Is that what you're going after? They could be good things or bad things, but are they happening um, in the way that Christ has given them to you? You know, are you taking them as as being a gift from His hand? And the first gift that you need to receive is the gift of grace. Listen, this is the way it happens: you repent of your sin, you turn away from your entire life willing to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if if you're not willing to lose your life, 
go ahead, go gain the whole world. Jesus said, like, go get whatever you want, but you might lose your soul, right? But whoever's willing to lose their life for my sake, okay? So it's not just like you're doing penance or something like that, right? This is like you're losing it for the sake of Christ, It's not just that you're going out and feeding the poor and doing good things, right? But that you're just willing to put it all in. So maybe you already feed the poor, right? That's not the point. You might do a a million great things. You might think of yourself as being the greatest person that ever lived, okay? But if you fail to come to Christ for forgiveness, then you've given the finger to God in everything that you've done even the good things because God is about his own glory. So are you worshiping Yahweh? Like, I don't see how that's possible without coming to Christ to really be worshiping Yahweh. If Yahweh has given you the way to get right with him and you say, no, I'm good. I'm just going to get right by going up this ladder of good deeds over here. Um, I can basically make it to where you have to save me because I'm good. Now, who gets the glory in that sense? You get the glory, right? But it's God who who deserves the glory and the praise. And he has given us um, the way to get to him, and that's Christ. So, um, sorry, I'm being a little preachy here. <laughs> Look, Let me ask you this. Are you so comfortable with who you are that it's your life is like this recliner that you love? And you're just like, you know what? Whatever, God, right? Like, I've built this life that I love. I can sit in this recliner and feel good about myself. Okay. That's great. Um, The call that Jesus gives you is to get out of your recliner and be willing to walk away from everything in your life for the truth. Okay? And I think that's why maybe in the next podcast, if you're still with me, that um, maybe I'll talk about the truthfulness of Christ, like why I think it's true. But I think it's almost more important to start at, like, why is it relevant? Like, why is Michael making a playlist with... Christian songs and uh, and songs that just everybody listens to, and why is he taking all this pain to curate it so that it reflects truth? Because I think that there's truth out there, right? I think that um, I don't even know if more I have Morrissey on the playlist, but people like Jeff Buckley and Elliot Smith, like they can touch on these ultimate truths. But, the, but it might be more on the side, like, here's the question, like, what's the answer? Like, and then the answer is Christ. Whoops. There goes my slippery phone. I hope you can still hear me. Hang on. I've got coffee in one hand and my awesome recording um, mechanism just fell down because I made a turn. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to kind of try to wind it down here. Thank you for listening to my rambling. Um, 
maybe someday I'll like get my thoughts all outlined and write a write a nice book or a letter to somebody. But I just I don't even have time to write a song, you know. Um, I've got this album's worth of material, and I'm like, I don't I don't have time to finish this, you know. Like anyway, if you want to call me and catch up with life, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I hope you don't take this as me like you know, conning you into talking about God or something. I just love you, you know, like I don't get, I don't get brownie points, you know. Um, I mean, hopefully I'll, I'll have rewards in heaven, you know. I want, I want the reward to be you, you know. I want you to be there. That'll be my reward, right? But I don't do this as like, I didn't make a vow to God or get some brownie points. This isn't about, um, uh, you know, my church said, you know, you need to talk to one person a day for 30 days or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm reading a book, you know, where the person said they did that. That's great. Um, I'm just, I want you to know, like, this is coming from my heart to you. And that this life, the best way to live this life, and believe me, I'm struggling with this shit, okay? Like, I don't want you to think I'm on some spiritual, like, you know, like, um, I'm really struggling. Like, and I think that's, it's like, let's keep God honest. You know, like that's one of the beautiful things. I'll talk about this next podcast. I think if Christianity is true, there are people in the Bible that wrestle with this shit. Like they had bad lives. Like don't, I am never going to come at you friend with like Joel Osteen and these like TV preacher garbage stuff. Okay. Because that is not true Christianity. If you crack open the Bible, you see that Moses left Egypt where he was like the man to suffer with the people. Moses, it was not great to be Charlton Heston. Okay. Like it wasn't a flashy job. Like it sucked. Like the people were always complaining like Moses left the comforts of being the prince of Egypt to suffer and to lead the people, right? David, like read the Psalms, okay? And I think this is kind of a cool thing. There were these um, books of the Bible just printed individually. I don't know how many of them were done. But I think they had Bono write an introduction to the Psalms and then like Nick Cave wrote an introduction to Mark. And it's just, it's like, look, man, like these are, these are real artists, you know, like I respect these people and they see that the Bible is not garbage. Like it's literary beauty. It's masterful and it's, it's different from everything else. And if you read, even if you don't care who Israel is or who David is or whatever, if you read the Psalms, you'll see a man that's struggling with the God that he knows is good when his life is shitty, you know? And I kind of like using the word shit now. Like, I think the more spiritual I get, the more I'll use the word shit because Paul used it quite a bit. <laughs> he used it, and not quite a bit, but he says this Greek word skubalon, you know, and he says, like, I have counted everything as dung you know, like dog crap compared to knowing Christ. And so what I want you to see is that 
The people in the Bible did not have perfect lives. And this is entirely relevant to us because if you pursue the American dream, you get the recliner with the remote, you know, with the drink in hand, nothing wrong with drinking. I'm, oh man, I'm in the wrong city. This Walmart does not have, I can't buy wine at this Walmart. So uh, maybe I won't have a glass of wine for Christmas, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'm not condemning uh, drinking uh, unless it's causing you problems, okay? Um, but what I'm saying is that like, open the Bible and see what God has really said. Because if you've just been sort of scarred by TV Christianity or people who just judged you because they thought they were perfect, they weren't really Christians. Christianity is a matter of the heart. And, and I think there was a time when I was in that box too. So I'm not just like saying that I've got it and nobody else does. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying that I want you to be with God. And the only way for you to be with God is to be with Christ. And that might sound like foolishness, but here's the cool thing. Like the Bible says, yeah, that sounds like foolishness. It's going to sound, you're going to sound like a crazy person when you preach the gospel and nobody's going to want to believe it. Well, then how does anybody ever come to Christ? What if you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? It, it, it kind of makes sense. Like I'm feeling like I am separated from God and I do want to know, you know, what the real truth is about life. And I do want to know like how, if, if Christ did rise from the dead, how is that relevant to me? I do want to know these things. If that's happening in your heart right now, that is a sign. Not like, ooh, a sign in the sky. I mean, like, it's an indication that Christianity is true. Because when most of the world hears this, we think, oh, it's, it's kind of stupid. You know? It's kind of foolish. So if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're like, man, that's dumb, Mike. This is really stupid. I hope you, I hope you grow a brain sometime and I'm glad it makes you happy, but please don't ask me to believe it because it's dumb. I'm happy in my recliner. If that's you, I love you. I still want to talk to you. Let's see how, I want to see how you're doing. Like, I feel like so isolated with COVID and mold avoidance, like just missing my friends, you know, missing my hometown and all that kind of stuff. Places I've been, friends I've had, music I've played, all that stuff. Anyway, I, this is not pretty. This is Pigeon Post, you know. I scribble a note, put it in the pigeon. This was a really long note. Thanks for listening. And um, I love you if you're listening. And uh, I'll talk to you soon.